HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere's Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson here with our executive director, Katie Mosman Wadler. Hey guys. Uh, our membership coordinator, Hannah Forden. Our Julia Child fellow, Jordan Warner. Hello, hello. And our intern, Sam Lee. Hi. Hey, Sam. And last but not least, we've got the great David Tattashore in the booth, making us all sound great. Hi. <laughs> he's, he's actually he's not in the booth. The booth. He came into rogue. the room. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for being here. This is great. So, guys, today on Happy Hour, we are getting artsy. Our guest today is Peter Piopo. Peter is a renowned food photographer who works, has been featured in New York Magazine, Bon Appetit, Food Arts, The New York Times. Through the magic of his lens, Peter's art allows him to turn the most basic of foods into objects of desire. And his cooking videos on the website are not only beautiful, but also whimsical and fun to watch. We're really happy to have you here with us today, Peter. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Um, before we get into all about Peter's work, uh, we're going to give you a rundown of what's been happening on our shows this week and tell you all about some great events coming your way. But first, we have a really special call-in guest with a breaking news update. I'd like to welcome to Happy Hour Brittany Lukowski, who's on the phone. Brittany, how are you? Hi, thank you. Um, I'm doing well. Thanks. Thank you. So, Brittany, I understand you're currently in Florida, but you've been um, up until last week or so living on the island of Vieques, Puerto Rico, and uh, working to provide some food relief there. So I'm excited to hear an update from you. Uh, if you can just give us a, a background about um, what brought you to Vieques and then what, in a, in a few minutes, what the 
impact of the hurricanes there has been and how your work has uh, been uh, important in providing food relief? Okay. Um, yeah, I, we just got back to Florida on Monday, so it's been about two months now since Hurricane Irma first hit, and then Maria came hot on its heels. Um, so we have not had power um, since about September 6th, and that means no refrigeration. Um, it's uh, There's been shortages of fuel, um, shortages of water. It's been really, really hard on the people there. Um, I first moved to Vieques about three years ago from New York, actually, and I had just vacationed there a few times and just fell in love with the place and had an opportunity to, to move down and, you know, kind of live the island life, <laughs> different mm -hmm. island from Manhattan, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, I've been there for a few years, and uh, my boyfriend and I started a small business just doing fermented um, kefir water sodas with the local fruits, and that's been, you know, mildly successful. We've had a good time. And I also got into doing sauerkraut and kimchi and some vinegar shrubs and all sorts of things like that that you just can't get on the island, you know, from the grocery store or anything. And when the hurricane was coming, we prepared by really stockpiling fermented vegetables because we knew that the first thing we would be able to not get is vegetables and we'd have no refrigeration and you can get by without refrigeration when you use the right preservation techniques. So that really helped us to be able to eat well uh, throughout a tragedy like this where food became sparse immediately and the, the rations and the things that were given out by government and, and health agencies like FEMA were um, uh, not, not nutritious, to say the least. I mean, it's, it's edible, it's food, it, it gets people by, but... Um, I tend to try to eat not a lot of meat and and eat healthy, and so this really helped us to be able to be nutritious and, and alert and, and healthy throughout um, a situation where a lot of people were really struggling. Wow. And what was it like on Vieques when you left? Has anything really substantially improved, or um, what are some things that people are doing? Are they leaving or are they staying? What's, what do you think the coming weeks will look like? It's been really hard. We expected a lot more changes than we saw, um, unfortunately. The worst part at first was there was a complete lack of connectivity. We went eight or ten days without even being able to get satellite phones, which then we could make a couple phone calls. But very slowly, cell phone service is returning, and so people have been able to you know, contact loved ones and make plans um, they did put up some Wi-Fi in the plaza, but it's only on one side of the island, and you have to go to it to actually be able to use it. Um, the worst thing is really the running water has um, been off. I think it, I just read that it came back today, but it had been mm -hmm. off for about 10 days prior wow. to this. And the reason being that the, either the generators break or the diesel fuel to run them does not arrive. Um, and we live on Vieques, like you said, it's a small island about seven miles off of the coast of Puerto Rico. So besides the logistics of getting things to the main island, we have one ferry that runs back and forth uh, about four or five times a day. And if we're lucky, we get gas on that ferry. There's 10 to 12-hour gas lines just to fill cars and generators. And it's, it's not a good situation. I, I, I had hoped for things to be getting a lot better by now, but it's, it seems dismal. I, I don't know how it's going to progress. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, we're very, very glad to connect with you. Glad that you're safe and um, really 
excited to learn about uh, the kind of opportunities of using fermented foods in a disaster relief situation is really cool and promising and fascinating. And uh, I do want to call our listeners' attention to the fact that you'll be on Harry Rosenblum's show, Beast Your Ears, coming up very shortly, yep. right? So stay tuned for that. And uh, Brittany, thank you so much again for calling in. We'll look forward to more updates from you and hopefully see you in New York sometime soon. Yes, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. Thanks, Brittany. Thanks, Brittany. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. That was, that's, so, that's so interesting and so cool. I don't think I would have immediately thought of the possibility of uh, staying well-fed after a disaster mm-hmm. on fermented foods. Yeah, it's, it's so cool and perfect for that kind of application. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I hope that more people learn about this because it's also something that's not difficult to do. Yeah. If and, you if you wanna, to and if you want to learn about fermentation, you can always listen to our show, Femin About It. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or all of about our fermented foods and beverages. Vinegar experts, Harry Rosenblum, yes. Michael Hartland, Turkel. We have a lot of resources here. We do. <laughs> all right. So we're going to jump now into our headlines. David, you got our music? There we go. On this week's episode of A Taste on the Past, we explore the South's cultural and culinary complexities through an interview with Garden and Guns managing editor Philip Rhodes. As he talks about the magazine's newest publication, S is for Southern. Listen in to hear about this encyclopedic examination of Southern life, culture, and history. Then on Japan Eats, Akiko is joined in the studio by Naoki Takahashi of Naoki NYC, a Chelsea restaurant serving seasonal multi-course Japanese cuisines in a zen interior. The recently launched Kaiseki-style restaurant is part of Create Restaurants Holdings, which operates over 800 restaurants around Japan and Asia. And Radio Cherry Bomb then interviewed Nadine Levy-Redzepi, a home cook, mother of three, and author of Downtime, Deliciousness at Home. Working in Copenhagen's Noma with husband Renee Redzepi, her book explores modern comfort food classics with international flair and Danish touches. For another chef interview, check out this week's The Line as we chat with chef Akhtar Nawab to learn more about his... um, his two fast casual concepts, Indie Fresh and Choza Taqueria and Faro in Birmingham, Alabama. Finally, episode four of Modernist Breadcrumbs aired this week. Woo-hoo! It's called Milling About. <laughs> and it's about the history of bread pre-industrialization and sort of the transition between uh, artisanal bread and industrial bread and then back to artisanal again. This episode picks up where episode one left off, telling bread's life story from all purpose to zopf. Jordan, I wish you would quit loafing around. <laughs> but I'm on a roll, David. Oh my gosh. Oh, the worst. <laughs> no Can't more bread stop, time. Won't stop. All right. Those were just a few of the headlines from this week. There's so much more to listen to. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and see all the great shows that happened this week. And of course, we have our archive of over 10,000 shows. So there's never an excuse to not have a heritage show to listen to. Um, okay, on to events. It's back, everybody. On November 15th, join Michael Harlan Turkel and Harry Rosenblum at the Brooklyn Brewery for the 17th round of Sumo Stew. Oh, my God. Kenpai! Yay! Uh, from 8 to 11 p.m., you can eat like a sumo wrestler with a chicken and yuba chakanabi made by Brooklyn's Momo Sushi Shack. We love them. And also indulge in a bento box filled with traditional Japanese dishes made by local chefs. For tickets, go to eventbrite.com and search Sumo Stew. I think there's also sumostew.com. Don't quote me on it, but Google it. Yeah, and there's like a Facebook and everything. Google it. You can find them. It's, it's 
so fun, you guys. If you haven't been to one, you can also often meet actual sumo wrestlers there. It's so cool, guys. The food is really good. There's lots of raffles and... Really yeah. fun giveaways. And if you've never watched Sumo, it's fun to watch it with a few people who actually understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, but also, it's just a really cool party. Yeah, I can't wait. I have to get my tickets. Yeah, so um, also happening this Friday and Saturday is Edible Brooklyn's and Edible Manhattan's Food Loves Tech event. Um, and this is the first of its kind education by Entertainment Innovation Expo, which is arranged as a series of experiential exhibits that will link multiple immersive installations, technologies, tastings, leadership panels, and dining experiences to explore and celebrate the future of food through technology and innovation. Um, and the expo is going to be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Brooklyn's Industry City. So calling all fans of Tech Bites, this is going to be <laughs> up your alley. Yes. And for all our wine people out there, the Raw Wine Fair is around the corner from us this weekend. Raw Wine is a two-day celebration of some of the best and most famous, and I'm going to fangirl my buns off, uh, wine <laughs> bread in puns. the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one was unintentional. <laughs> um, so Raw Wine features more than 100 growers who produce biodynamic, organic, natural, and low-intervention wines. Um, the fair is at 99 Scott Ave. It's on Sunday and Monday. We think there are still general admission tickets left, so check that out at newyork.rawwine.com. And we will be there with HRN on tour. Um, we have an interview lined up with the founder of the Raw Wine Fair, uh, Isabel Lejeron. So check it out. All right, everybody. It's time to get down to the great part of the show, our interview Welcome again, Peter. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so we're so excited to have you today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this intersection of food and photography? Um, well, I, I've had a camera in my hand since my mother's womb. Uh, I don't know how it got in there, but um, I've, I've always had an interest in photography. We also, as a family growing up, had uh, both grandparents were immigrants, French and Italian, lived with us. So food was such a primary part of our lives, our family, and I got to see food in every form from literally chickens being with, you know, heads cut off to coming home from lunch, you know, as a third grader with my grandmother wrestling with, you know, a sink full of live eels to, um, you know, Kentucky fried chicken on summer vacations in the Carolinas. So food was, you know, a very integral part of my growing up and I was also encouraged to cook so you know playing with food is cooking and uh, you know my parents only requirement as far as growing up and food was taste it you don't have to finish it you just need to taste everything so um, that and a combination of the photography being a bit of a geek loving tools and trying to you know figure how to make things fly and all I got exposed to the world of commercial photography. And at that stage, uh, we were shooting film. You had to figure out how to make things do whatever the final image was going to be in real time. There was no Photoshopping. There was no electronic composing. So, you know, it just, the whole process fascinated me in that 
you know, if somebody wanted a pancake to fly, we figured out how to do that. <laughs> and it was playing with food, and you had to satisfy the needs of a client saying, you know, Pillsbury said, that's our perfect pancake. That was another target that we had to figure out how to do. So you had to hire the right people to make those perfect pancakes. And <laughs> it's just continued on my whole life. I've never done anything else. Um, throughout the years, uh, I've actually been shooting for 47 years. Wow. I started, I incorporated when I was in high school and have just continued on, have always done what I've done, kept up with technology, and um, been fortunate enough to meet enough people along the way that from a commercial standpoint were able to support a business and from a creative standpoint allowed me to pursue the artwork part of it. Still all food based, um, but it, it just it allowed a, a wide open playground for me that um, I feel very fortunate and I still love doing what I do. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. How do you think um Adver like advertorial food photography has changed the most in like the past few decades. Well, you know, with with the advent of digital imaging, it's it's become to produce a beautiful image has become very accessible to a much broader audience. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, back in the days, you had to have a, a a mixed bag of sciences in order to put an image on film. It also required expensive and an extensive body of equipment in order to produce a quality image. Now you can do it on your iPhone, yeah. and it's amazing. And, and to be able to share that instantly, how great. So the public's perception of what a beautiful food photograph is, is very much of the moment. It's a very personal experience. It's shared instantly. Uh, and. It, it's it's much less, which which I feel is a bit of a problem these days, is that there's much less of a, a photographic creative process that goes into producing that image. It's, it becomes a little bit more about documenting, and that's fine, but in the commercial world, there was there's so much thought goes into the marketing, the client side of it. What's the perfect potato chip? You know, there's a whole... <laughs> process that starts way before anybody ever comes into a photo studio. So now, you know, you pull out your iPhone and you produce a beautiful image, and how great is that? But it, it to me, it's lost a little bit of the, the creative side that was originally there, the process mm -hmm. to make an image. Well, here's the thing, too. Yeah, everyone has this, like, amazing photo camera on their iPhone now, and everyone can, like, take a sort of decent picture. But some of the things that you do that's super interesting is you're basically making like sculptures out of food. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, the creative process for you is a lot more than just like setting up the right lighting and having the most expensive camera. There's like a real artistry that goes into it. Yeah, it, it's um, there. There are many levels in that. Um, yeah, there. You know, I do work with higher end equipment, yielding a a higher quality image things I, I only photograph in studio so everything I shoot is lit uh, I don't work with available light so there's a process in lighting and thinking about that I also work with some of the images that you've seen uh, I work with a combination of chefs food stylists sculptors uh, some of them I do myself but the the key to them is uh, all those images are they're actually one photograph they're not bits and pieces mm -hmm. put together 
So I approach these images in a way that, as I did when I shot film, it's a real sculpture. If, if there is a splash, it's a real splash. It was done in real time, and we may have shot 100 frames in order to get that real splash, but it's a real splash. It's not bits and pieces put together. So it, it becomes almost the documentation of a sculpture, but it's a much broader process to get to that point. I'd love to take the kind of story you just told and maybe talk about this one photo that I've pulled up from your website uh, that I'm really getting a kick out of. And I'm hoping you can tell us about the creative process. And maybe um, it would be great first to hear you describe this photo and then tell us a little bit about the story that's going on here uh, through the sculpture and then also maybe a little bit about the creative process of photographing it. Now, this was a series that was done for a um, an art exhibition, uh, and these were they ended up as being these huge video projections, and it was more about morphing from ingredient into finished dish. And what we're looking at here are the ingredients being a red snapper, an octopus, a clam, um, a shrimp, and then next to it a finished plate, a bouillabaisse of sorts. And what would happen is, as you would walk down this hallway of these, they were like 12, 14 foot high video projections, the images would morph from ingredient into finished dish. I worked with a, a very dear friend, artist, food stylist to produce this whole series, and we came up with a series of ideas on, you know, these are interesting recipes from ingredient standpoint and finished plate standpoint, and produce a body of work. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we ended up, I think, about 20 different setups on this, but very spontaneous. Uh, it was all on a black set. We'd put something down. I'd do a capture. He'd tweak it a little bit. Yeah, we got it. Let's do the finished <laughs> dish. And then, you know, same kind of process. But it was fairly well planned out as far as the ingredients, the plating, but there was a lot of happenstance that happened during the shooting of it. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I'm very proud of this, this project. Well, should we take a quick commercial break, come back and do some more interview? And then, Peter, we maybe haven't given you the warning, but we do trivia at the end of every show. Cool. So get ready for that. <laughs> we'll all be your phone of friends. Okay. Okay. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have more with Peter Piopo. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. 
Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Welcome back to HRN Happy Hour. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm here with Katie Moswin-Wadler, the rest of the HRN crew. Our guest today is Peter Piopo, who is a food photographer. Um, so, Peter, I'm going to throw out a question, a deep question for you. Um, some people, you know, perceive food as art. It's kind of this debate that rages on. Some people disagree. For example, Anthony Bourdain insists that food is made by craftsmen, not artists. What are your thoughts on that? Food and art. Um, I think any well-prepared meal, and that can be from an elaborate multi-hour, multi-pot, you know, destroying a kitchen kind of presentation, <laughs> to, you know, the perfectly, picking a perfectly ripe apple and taking a slice out of it. Uh, they're both food, um, but having the skill to pick that apple, taking the perfect slice out of it, requires art. Uh, it, it, it's skill, and you know you may not think about it, but um, it, it it is all art. And then, on a little side note, there's food, and then there's product, and I photograph both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, those images of bouillabaisse and all—that's food. I also photograph Twinkies. Mm-hmm. That's I was product. Ask you about the Twinkies. Tell <laughs> us about the Twinkies. Well, you know, I, I did the entire Hostess uh, product line, all the cupcakes and ding dong, all of that stuff. And you know, it's a very different approach. Um, you people may call it food, uh, but it is product. <laughs> Some may call it food. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it really is product, and you approach it in a different way. You know, it still has to have appeal, and you it, it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the the legacy that a Twinkie has. Mm-hmm. You know, what an iconic junk food snack. <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of thought went into the process before we shot the first Twinkie. What is this Twinkie going to look like? And uh, so there's you know there's it's a it's a different mindset going into that kind of work. That that's the kind of work that pays the rent. The artwork is the reward. Mm-hmm. Are the deep fried Twinkies for real? Oh yeah. I oh, thought yeah. that I when I saw it on your website, I wasn't sure because it looked like the real Hostess packaging. But then I thought that could also be an art project. Nope. I had never seen chocolate, them vanilla, and banana flavor. You ever they're, been uh-huh. to a fair yeah. in like yeah. Texas? No, cake? but they come in a box already oh, deep fried. Yeah. Or oh. like it's a box on the shelf and it says. Deep fried Twinkies serve warm. This is the warm. real deal. That's aggressive. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but they're not—they're different. They're not like battered. Okay. Well, they are. Oh, they, they are. They actually are. They're cooked. Uh, you have three choices. You can microwave them, throw them in a hot oven, or <laughs> something. I. But, but they smell just like the ones at the fair. Wow. They have a really? crunch on the outside. And, oh. Uh, yeah. Technology. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, well, oh that's you know, pro- product and technology. Yeah. You know, it's, wow, uh, cool, it's magical. Yeah. Um, do I, you? I can never let Chris find out about yes. this. Right? <laughs> Bury this episode. Uh, uh, Peter, do you have any other uh, food photographers that you're a big fan of? Oh, you know, I mean, this so. I, I, no. <laughs> no, no, just no. Me. I mean, no, no. I think you know. I, 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 I struggle with the the title of food photographer. I'm a photographer, as is everybody. Our subject matter is food. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really no such thing. You know, yeah, my studio is set up to photograph food, but 
you know, I can photograph babies. I can, I'm, my training is as, is as a photographer. My interest, my passion is food. So that's where my subject matter lies. But uh, I think that's like, I've, I've heard a lot of food, food, quote, food writers say something very similar about like, I'm a writer, just so happen to view it through the lens of food. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, great. Yeah. But okay, for someone who's maybe interested in photographing food, I think everyone is a closet food photographer on their Instagram, like everyone's doing it. Um, <laughs> but if it's someone who like maybe is starting out and wants to take this super seriously, do you have any advice for them? Um, yeah, I teach. Um, I, I teach at uh, Institute of Culinary um, Arts. I also do sessions in the, um, in, in the studio. And I think the, the best one of the best rules to follow is photograph some the things that you have an intimate understanding of that you feel passionate about and look at it more than just documenting what's been put in front of you if you're if you're photographing a plate of pasta well there's got to be some inspiration behind that maybe that pasta was what your grandmother used to make and maybe it's not about the pasta or the sauce, but maybe it's about the pot that she used to make when you were visited grandma's house. Uh, you know, there was something about that pot that made that sauce extra special. So think beyond exactly what's in front of you. Think less documenting, more about I'm telling a story here. Um, you know, look for props that help support and tell that story. Again, it, it's, it's great something, you know, you have a great plate put in front of you, and you know, you're eating at a great restaurant. Well, it's a plate in a restaurant. Do you know what restaurant it is? Unless you put a hashtag, this is, you know, wherever it is. Can you incorporate something of that restaurant to make more of a story about it? But, you know, don't overcomplicate things. Don't, um, you know, work with natural light for, for as, a, as a starter. You know, the sun is beautiful. Um, play with things that you can actually try under different types of lighting that are not going to die. Don't start out shooting ice cream. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, a bowl of fruit is a great subject matter. And is the, that fruit, is it fresh? Does it have dew on it? Or, you know, six months from now, is it rotting away? And is that as beautiful? So, yeah. you know, just be, be passionate about what you're shooting and, and take a little extra time. Um, don't just pull whatever camera you're using, pull it out and shoot. Think about it. And uh, that extra five seconds really improves your images. Do you have any current projects that you're working on that you're particularly excited about? Um, well, we, you know, we're, we're constantly doing um, new recipes uh, on the website. So that's always a, a fun, um, you know, coming up with concepts, perfecting the recipes, uh, working with my, my business partner and all of that, Manny, and trying to, you know, how are we going to make these videos look, because I also shoot video, uh, how, how are we going to make these look different than every other one that's on the, uh, on the website? And, you know, we, we, we follow our hearts. Well, you know, what's, what's passionate here? What's, what's beautiful? Uh, what's going to tell a story? And what's your website so everyone can go visit? Recipesfromthestudio.com. Lots of cool stuff there and uh, some pretty fun videos and some stills and recipes are great. Okay, now you have a very unique and important assistant that goes to work with you every day. Tell <laughs> us all about it. 
my my uh, sidekick, um, his name is Augie. He's a four-year-old rescue dog, um, has changed everything in my life uh, in understanding how... Uh, he was he was in a kill shelter, and my wife and I adopted him and uh, have, through a whole group of people, nursed him back to health. And he comes to the studio every day, and he he's part husky, part shepherd, part unknown. He's, he's a mutt. And uh, he's just the sweetest guy. Uh, he's the welcoming committee. He walks up to anybody that comes into the studio and says hi and is never more than three feet from me. Uh, and, you know, at times the clients call and, you know, it's less about the photography and more about, is Augie going to be there? <laughs> but he's a total sweetheart and, uh, you know, we all love him. Does he hand you lenses? <laughs> no, no, not yet. No, no, not yet, not yet. But anything that falls on the floor, he makes sure it's taken care of. There you go. There you go. That's amazing. I hope we get to meet scavenger him. in chief. And he's also like one of the most well photographed dogs I've ever seen. He's got some serious beauty shots. He, does he have his own Instagram or anything? He does. What is it? Augie the dog. Great. Go find a, it. A U G G I E. A U G I E. A U G I E. The dog. He you, also, hear it, you heard it here on HR and Happy Hour. Yeah, he has a Facebook page also. Oh, so wow. We're, we're looking at retirement here. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I, I'm. I have to go. <laughs> oh no, I'm all about dog stuff. Um, uh, okay, should we do trivia? Uh oh. Is it trivia better. time? That sure. looks like a game face. Yeah. I think you're ready. I think it is. Let's go. And we're here for you. Yes. Yes. Okay, so these are food and art-related questions. Um, I think the hardest one might be first, so don't, don't worry too much. Um, okay, question number one. Do you know which Chicago-based artist sculpted a statue of Madonna using 180 pounds of ham? That's just too much ham. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of ham. Wow. This is the hardest um, question or the grossest question? All of the yes. above. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> You're correct. All right. The answer for anyone out there who you know wants to know is Dwight Kolb. I have never heard of him. Never heard of him. I will look it up now, though. Yeah. But next time you need a giant ham sculpture, this <laughs> you is your guy. You know who to call. Yeah. All right. Question number two. What food product was Andy Warhol referring to when he said, I used to drink it. I used to have the same lunch every day for 20 years. I guess the same thing over and over again. Campbell's tomato soup. You got it. Woohoo! All right. Question number three. Norman Rockwell created six paintings that were used as ads for what classic product? I can see the ad, but I can't. It's classic. That's it's it. a beverage. Coke? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he probably did other products, too, I would assume. Um, okay, question number four. What famous artist is rumored to have eaten yellow paint thinning? No, sorry. Have eaten yellow paint thinking that consuming it would paint his insides bright yellow and therefore make him happy? Troubled artist. Had a lot of, like, relationship drama. 
I hear. I hear he had a lot of relationship drama. I don't know. Were you involved Did in you that hear cat? it, though? He didn't, but maybe he didn't hear it quite as well. Then go? Yeah. <laughs> ah, thank you for the hints. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. And question number five. This is a local question. In 2014, Domino's Sugar donated 160,000 pounds of sugar to be used in sculptures for what artist's installation at the old Domino factory here in Brooklyn? It's another very specific artist question. No idea. Her name was Kara Walker. Yeah. I will look that up. Yeah. Go on. We have some artist homework to do. <laughs> well, Peter, you performed very well yeah. in our trivia oh, game. Thank, thank you. you so thank much you. for playing. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. That is our show. Peter, thank you so much for being here. A lot of fun. Talking thank you for having me in. All about photography and food, but not necessarily food photography. Right. <laughs> the intersection. Um, I'm Kat Johnson, here with, as always, Katie Mosman Wadler. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much to our producer for tonight, Liz Mystic, to Jordan Warner, Hannah Forden, Sam Lee, and our stalwart engineer, Dave Tatashore. Stalwart. Stalwart. <laughs> That's our show. Don't forget, Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you'd love to hear more episodes of this and all of our other 35 weekly shows, please go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. <laughs> listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.